Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Outstanding show today. A truly outstanding broadcast for you with three A plus guests. Well, I mean, Joe Fortenbaugh is somewhere, yeah, you know, B, B minus. Can't expect A plus broadcasting out of Joey Fortin nuts, but he will be joining us at 4 15 today. 3 30, Ron Jaworski stops on by a little bit later on this hour. Ray at 5 o'clock. We go live at 5 with Steve Kerr. Keep your mouthpiece in, don't go throwing it anywhere. Unless you want to get ejected from that interview. That's all it takes? <laughs> Lucas, get me a mouthpiece. Get me one now. Yeah, raise some equipment to throw into the crowd. Uh, the Warriors survived themselves in a win over the Grizzlies last night. They also survived the Grizzlies. They also survived an ejection that when it looked like the ejection was based on Steph yelled at a teammate more than he yelled at an official... I was ready to go to Twitter to burn the whole thing down. And then I saw the replay where Steph once again <laughs> throws his mouthpiece. What, at the, into the crowd? Into the crowd. The frustrated. If yeah. you throw anything into the crowd, if you throw a, a ball into the crowd with purpose, it's automatic. Because they don't want you to hit a lawyer in row five and have him sue the club for $3 million. Is there anyone who's a big enough Steph Curry fan? Who still wouldn't think that it would be pretty gross to get hit with his mouthpiece? Gross, no. Potentially lucrative, yes. I mean, I don't think you can sue for cooties. You can't I, sue for cooties, but you could sue for assault. Again, I, I, it, it'd be a tough court case. I bet you they settle that. Maybe they do, which but is, it's which is what more you're going money for than you point. had when you went into the arena. No one sues Steph. And for a man whose entire career is completely unblemished, he's got three career ejections, all mouthpiece related. It's, it's one of the weirdest stats to ever be associated I mean, with a player who has no problems at all to detect in his entire career. No, but it, it does mark a level of childishness. I mean, why, I mean, why don't you just take a shoe off and throw it in the crowd? You know, I mean, if you're going to do that, I mean, it just, you know, I don't know, it it amuses me that that's his his forfeit when he needs to when he needs to vent. That's his break glass in case I mean, of emergency. Yeah, I mean, why don't you just start screaming obscenities at the official? You have a better chance of surviving that than throwing something into the crowd because you throw something into the crowd. There's no appeal. There's no going to the league office and saying, "Hey, I think I got screwed," because that one's written in black and white. You can't go in the crowd. You can't throw anything into the crowd. Pure and simple. Especially a mouthpiece, which is just like the grossest thing to throw into a crowd. Here is Steve Kerr. I didn't. I didn't see what happened at the time. So you know, when the ref called it, I was I was confused. And then the, the coach told me he threw threw the mouthpiece down out of anger, and I guess he he throw it into the stands on the side. Yeah. So I think yeah, I think that's on that's automatic. Ejection. So yeah, he he knows he knows he's he can't make that mistake again. And look, it's a really good thing that the Warriors won that game last night, or there would be some finger pointing going on. The Warriors have run out of 
their margin of error. They need to start playing good, dialed-in basketball. And that was part of the frustration that I think was baked into that evening last night. Again, when they are sloppy with the ball, Ray, they take sloppy with the ball all the way to, like, now, here's the most turnovers you ever seen by us in the first half level of sloppy. I think they had 14 in the first half last night. And and yet the, the thing is, they only had 21 for the game, given that. It's like they know how to do this. But then they just get in these weird rhythms where they're just going to distribute the ball all over the place except to a teammate. It's like a petulant kid who knows how to behave, but for whatever reason, they're just in a mood to make mayhem. And, and that's what they are. And we understand that they have always been a basketball team that is good when it's on the edge of losing control. They got to start walking that tightrope a little bit more carefully with the remaining games that they have left. And we're going to get into all of that with Steve Kerr today. Here, uh, the funny thing to let you know that there's no like bad lingering feelings because I, in the history of basketball... How many players have been ejected from a game because they were frustrated at their own teammates' play? And that's really what that was. Steph Curry hated the way Jordan Poole played a late possession, and that led to the frustration of him tossing his mouth guard. Jordan Poole was getting mother you-know-what all over Twitter by people who claimed to be Warriors fans, and oh, I can't stand Jordan Poole. This guy, he's a problem. He takes more off the table than he puts on the table. And then, of course, he hits the game-winning layup to save the entire day, and everybody's baking at the end of it. It was a great play call that I guess was dialed up by Draymond Green himself for Steve. So Draymond called the play, and we hadn't practiced it in a couple of months. And so it was a little ambitious, but it, 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 it wasn't exactly as we normally draw it up because we hadn't practiced in a while but i think in this case it may have benefited us because it was a little scattered and sometimes out of bounds underneath you know some coaches will just run guys in a circle you know and then and then just cut everywhere i've seen i've seen coaches do that it was a little more organized than that but i think in some ways we were a little scattered and jordan just made a a great back cut Look, it was a whole bunch of traffic in the lane. You got guys curling around and off that traffic. And then once defenders started following the Fugazi curls, here comes Jordan with the real curl. And that's an, uh, a Johnny on the spot. Dante DiVincenzo, big ragu, big assist in that moment to find Jordan Poole almost undefended for an easy layup right under the back at War- basket. And Warriors, they get away with murder last night. They get away with murder. And I don't want to hear another word that this is not a rivalry. Uh, you lie with the way that you play, or you tell the truth with the way that you play. The lie is this isn't a rivalry. The Warriors went out and played that game as hard as they've played all year. That's a rivalry to the Golden State Warriors. They can stop fibbing during their press conference, too. Yeah, No, it, it is now. It's not like a full-blown, oh, my God, every time we play them, we hate them. It's not Duke, Carolina. But, but they get up for this, and so does Memphis. The difference is that Memphis gets up for a number of teams because they still have stuff to prove. Uh, the fact is the Warriors did last night, they explained what their entire season's been about, which is we can be really awful and really indisciplined and really stupid. And then they can also be elegant and bright and clever. Like the last play, I mean, Poole gets full credit for recognizing that the guy who was guarding him was guarding him the wrong way. He was on the side of him trying to be between the ball and the inbounder, or between between Poole and the ball. And Poole said, well, here's a free, free trip to the lane. When he should have been between Poole and the basket. Because if Poole's going to get the ball, you'd rather have him take an 18-footer than a 1-footer. I mean, even Jordan Poole's percentages aren't aren't so twisted that a layup is a worse shot than an 18-foot jumper. So credit to Jordan Poole for sealing that, seeing that, feeling that, and acting on it. But the thing that I think enrages people about Poole, to the extent that they're enraged, is that very often he settles for the first thing he thinks of, which is the 22-footer. And if he's making it, fine. If he's not making it, they get annoyed because they've seen guys like that in Warriors' past. They saw it in Monte Ellis. They saw it in 
Jason Richardson. You know, they, they, they've always had this aversion to the guy whose first instinct is, well, I got the ball, how do I shoot this? They, they believe in ball movement based on the fact that it's been drilled into them as fans since, 19, since 2014. And I think Poole struggles with that from time to time. And as a result, you get a lot of people reacting, you know, I hate Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole is this, Jordan Poole is that. Jordan Poole has a flaw in his game, and he's going to have to fix this, which is he's got to learn that there's the ball's going to come back to him if he gives it up, and that there will be a better shot later in the possession if he's patient. He hasn't learned that yet. That doesn't mean he's a you know lost cause or a detriment to the team, but it is a flaw that's easy to spot, and... When he does it, and does it more than once, people get pissed. What are the flaws easy to spot in the game plans that coaches could be installing for the NFC title game? We're going to get into a guy who understands the X's and O's of it all oh so well. Ron Jaworski joins us in about 20 minutes. Joe Fortenbaugh in a little more than an hour from right now. Steve Kerr live at 5 to go over uh, everything that was ailing the Golden State Warriors and ended up actually delivering them into the win column anyways last night against the Memphis Grizzlies. We know that they got the Toronto Raptors coming into town on Friday night. We got a really good one for you this afternoon. It's great to have you around. We have some really interesting sound coming out of the 49ers camp. Kyle Shanahan is talking, D'Amico Ryans, George Kittle. We got Trent Williams. We got interesting stuff to get into all over the place when I'm looking at my soundboard here. And we got a lot for you this afternoon. So it's good to have you. Damon and Rattle on 95.7 The Game. A little bit later on on the Bud Light guest line. Bud Light, easy to drink, easy to enjoy. Ron Jaworski, 330. Fortin Bought, 415. Steve Kerr, live at 5. And we are brought to you by CalHope.org. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now back to Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. The Road to Glendale brought to you by... The SF Sheriff Office. Your future begins here. Visit sfsheriff.com to apply today. It is great to have you here in a matter of moments. Ron Jaworski 
will be joining us. Longtime NFL matchup host on ESPN, uh, contributor to many ESPN shows, and longtime Philadelphia quarterback and just Philadelphia gadfly. He is around the Eagles all the time. Ron Jaworski joins us a little bit later on today. You know what's amazing, Ray, is that when you look at these quarterbacks, you obviously have to be operating from the premise of a small sample size because one of the quarterbacks is a walking, talking, breathing example of the concept of small sample size. We have only seen seven games out of Brock Purdy. So to take you know anything more than seven games from Brock, because there aren't, there isn't anything more than seven games, and try to measure him against Jalen Hurts, you know, Hurts just on the experience of snaps in this league alone feels like he is the overwhelming best quarterback in this game, right? He put up a season that, you know, when he starts, when Jalen Hurts starts, Philadelphia is 15-1 and this year. That's, a, that's an overwhelming number. That is officially an impressive and overwhelming number. Brock Purdy, he's 7-0 and with two playoff wins. But the numbers aren't just similar from a success when he's been under center standpoint. What if I told you, Ray, they're similar everywhere? I wouldn't be surprised. Like, if I took the words Purdy and Hurts off of the column of numbers and said, whose is whose? You're looking at the same two columns, basically. So, in their last seven starts, Jalen Hurts is 7-0, and Brock Purdy is 7-0. and Their passing yards per game in their last seven starts, Jalen Hurts is 234, Brock Purdy is 234.9. Completion percentage over their last seven starts. Jalen Hurts, 64.8. Brock Purdy, 66.7. The touchdown to interception ratio for Hurts, it's 10 to 3. For Brock, it's 14 to 2. Their passer rating, 96.8. Brock Purdy, 116. The uh, pass. Plus, rushing touchdowns over their last seven games. Jalen Hurts has accounted for 17. Brock Purdy has accounted for 16. Not only are their numbers comparable, you want to get into the nitty-gritty of who's got the better numbers, Brock Purdy has the better numbers than Jalen Hurts going into this game, just looking at their last seven starts and comparing them one to the other. But it's the rushing yards that make the difference. And that's why Hurts, I think, is perceived as the better quarterback because he can do one thing that Purdy had, has not yet shown he can do, which is run the ball to the point where the other team has to has to game plan for it. So, yeah, the, the passing numbers are what you said they are. The only issue is, well, what separates them then? The thing that separates them is that Hurts is more dangerous out of the backfield with the ball under his arm. And he is. He is a spectacular runner. His running plays were dialed up in that NFC title game. So there wasn't any hesitancy to ask him to behave as he's behaved throughout the regular season due to the shoulder injury. And one of the things that we need to let you know about is that when it comes to the rest reports that you see around the 49ers, like they're not practicing with Christian McCaffrey this week. Christian, anything to be worried about? Just, you know, do all the walkthroughs, the run-throughs, whatever, and, you know, go through the lists multiple times with, with Coach Lynn or with Bobby T. And it's the same process for me, just lowering a little bit of the physical load. Okay, we understand that. But let's get to what we're asking here. Might you not play this weekend? Is there any chance in your mind that you won't play on Sunday? Zero. There you go. I'm glad he feels that way because that's what I was saying this morning when I was joining John Kincaid on his show in Philadelphia. You know, he's like, hey, I'm looking at these practice reports. Who is or isn't playing? And I'm, what's going on with, with Christian McCaffrey? And I said, nothing's going on with Christian McCaffrey except that uniform on Sunday. And he is going to be playing. The, the 49ers, a million percent, need him I, out there. And the last thing they need is any setbacks in any arena uh, that is practice. I can't believe that people don't understand that load management in football is midweek practices. Because that's what this is. It's just, why are we going to grind you on a Wednesday when we need you as fresh as possible on a Sunday? I mean, that just seems, that seems like such a non-story. 
I mean, I guess you have to ask him technically, well, is there any chance you won't play? But it seems obvious to me. I mean, it just, and every week, I mean, everybody puts out an injury report and they just say, you know, you know, did not practice non-injury reason. You know, sitting in the trainer's room, smoking a cigar and sitting in the tub. You know, for whatever reason. I just, you know, of course Christian McCaffrey's not going to practice this week. I mean, why would you do that? He's already played essentially 18 games because I think he missed one game after the trade. Speaking of which, you see who the Panthers just hired as their new coach? Frank Reich, back in the saddle again. Yeah, Steve Wilkes did a hell of a job fixing what Matt Rule had broken and still got shown the door. Shown the door or they, do they want him back? I, If you take the head coaching job away from a guy but you want to make him the assistant again, he's leaving. Maybe. And, they, and they know that. Maybe. Were you surprised to see Wright get a, a second bite at the apple so soon? Because, look, you could say that Indianapolis, Ryan Grigson, has not done a very good job building that team. But what argument could you make that Frank Reich did a very good job coaching it? He had done a good job in the past. But the only connection that I can see between him and the Panthers is that he was their first quarterback. That seems a pretty thin read on which to hire a guy again. And it smacks a little bit of Jeff Saturday. Um, if you're not going to get Sean Payton, and I guess maybe he wasn't interested, um, I guess it doesn't matter who you have. And if it doesn't matter who you have, why not go with the guy who figured out how to fix what you've got as the interim guy? I mean, he didn't turn them into a juggernaut, but he turned them into a team that nearly made the playoffs, even with an 8-9 and nine record. Yeah, I, I I would maybe understand it a little bit more if there were a big brand associated with the new hire that made you look past the had a degree of success with the less ballyhooed interim guy, sort of like the Raiders with Basaccia, right? Yeah, I mean, there's someone that if they had kept him, would they have been better this year? It'd be hard to make the argument they would have been worse. You know, it, I don't know how much better because the Raiders' biggest problem is that they have four really good guys and 18 guys that you know should be playing in the CFL. But it just—it's just a reminder that you know, when in doubt, the black interim coach is never going to see the light of day the next year. And this is just another sort of glaring example of that because there's nothing genuinely special about Frank Reich that made David Tepper fall in love with him. I mean, just, and I don't want to hear the, well, he must have interviewed really well. Because if you don't know enough about a guy that you can be swayed by an interview, then you're not paying a good enough attention. Did you also see the Sean Payton story out of Denver? Well, so that was going to be my follow-up. The other ripple effect out of this one coaching hire today is that Sean Payton is not particularly interested in Denver because he thinks that there's about to be a fight for power within the organization and just might want to avoid the mess entirely. Well, also that part of that power is power that he's seeking because he wants to be the guy in charge, as I sort of suggested the other day when we were talking to Peter King. He wants to be able to decide what the roster looks like as well as what you're going to do on game day. And that means George Payton, who's their current general manager, you know, is in the crosshairs of this. And they also mentioned somebody in ownership. And that surprises me a little bit because... Rob Walton is the richest man in the NFL. Right. And I can't imagine he could walk and go, okay, this is what we're doing. Does anybody want to argue with me before I spend you into, into poverty? By the way, you know what you can't argue with? A guest who reports for duty early. What a pro. Ron Jaworski joins us on the Bud Light guest line. Bud Light, easy to drink, easy to enjoy, as have been years of Ron Jaworski being a man uh, synonymous with not just the city of Philadelphia, but the Eagles specifically. Ron, thank you so much for joining us here on Damon and Ratto. It's a pleasure to have you on today. How are you doing? Hey, great to be with you guys. There is obviously tremendous excitement in Philadelphia. You know, two outstanding football teams. The Niners are just red hot right now playing great football. The Eagles have been a dominant team all season long. So great excitement about this game. It's going to be an awesome, awesome showdown. It should be a fascinating matchup. Just the X's and O's of the whole thing as the, you know, the Eagles present the running quarterback conundrum, which is 
we, we you know we, we've seen the 49ers trip over that several times but they have a defense that is probably more prepared with linebacker st- speed and and just guys who stay you know disciplined and in their lanes then you know the, the only other defense that you could say is as disciplined might be Philadelphia's so it's just it feels like a fair fight which always makes for the most interesting fights on a football field yeah, Jalen Hurts makes the offense work. Uh, the RPOs, the zone reads, he's a magician at doing them. And, you know, we talk about them. You know, I've studied the, the zone reads, the RPOs a lot this year. And, you know, to the, to the casual fan, everyone thinks it's pretty easy. It is not. You're reading defensive linemen. You're reading linebackers. And then you go, you got an RPO. You got a pass tagged on the back of it. And all this happens within a millisecond. It happens so quickly. And Jalen Hurts has done a great job with that. And hey, we all know what a, what a, what a great defense the 49ers have. They have tremendous talent. But it, I, it, it, I'll go back to the Dallas game earlier this year with Micah Parsons, who's a tremendous football player. The Eagles use his strength against him. He wants to make every play. And they ran RPOs and zone read right at him and really negated his ability. So it's not only one player. Your defense must play with tremendous discipline and read their keys. Or you could get embarrassed because Jalen Hurts is really good at running the offense can we then extrapolate from that that the four that the eagles would probably try to do the same thing with nick bosa Absolutely. I, I think they will run those out. You know, Nick is uh, he's probably going to be the league MVP defensively. He's had a phenomenal year. And sometimes you could take a guy's strength, which is speed and quickness, even for a defensive lineman, and, and try to play that against him. Ron Jaworski here on 95.7 The Game. Kyle Shanahan is probably, you know, here he is at the end of what is his best season as a head coach, just given the turnover that he's had at the quarterback position alone, knowing all you do about the position, how extraordinary is what you've seen from, from Brock Purdy? I mean, it, we I, mean know- I don't know if extraordinary is the proper word. You know, I, I, don't know if there, I don't know if there is a word. And, you know, you know, I've always admired Kyle Shanahan. You know, I knew his dad very well. We, when Kyle was probably a teenager, I used to see him out at the Lake Tahoe golf tournament every year with his dad and got to know him way back in the day before anyone thought he'd be a great NFL coach. And he is a great NFL coach. And I love the guys that are creative and, you know, can play the mind games with the defense and Kyle Shanahan is one of the best but you know when Brock Purdy became the quarterback I, I'm gonna be honest with you guys and probably like a lot of people oh boy it's all over for the 49ers they started winning a couple games you know I'm watching Brock on you know the red zone watch all these games I really didn't zero in on to about the third or fourth game that I start watching tape on him the coaching tape because that's you know that's a true sermon you got to look at the tape and you know and I made the comment when I first broke him down I said he's Joe Montana like and boy that I don't want to be disrespectful to Joe Montana because I love the guy uh, but that's what Brock Purdy reminded me of he, he his ability to read coverage quickly understand what the defense is doing and know where his people are is just uncanny and you know Joe Montana didn't have the, the you know the, the gun on his shoulder didn't have the speed to get you know be with his legs he just won he knew how to run an offense and Brock Purdy reminds me of how Joe Montana played the game. Doesn't turn the football over. Very judicious where he throws it. Understands what's going on. I mean, it's been an unbelievable ride for Brock Purdy. How does Kyle Shanahan's use of not just Brock Purdy, but his quarterbacks in general, make life for defenses more difficult? Because it is not a traditional modern offense in that the quarterback is not the most important component. Yep. Um, does that create like material difficulties for the Eagles defense as they prepare? I, I, I'll get to something else first. I'll talk about how the about the Eagles defense in a second. But you know, as as I, I was talking about Brock Purdy on a show maybe a week ago, and I, I started to you know at my age I remember a lot of stuff. Maybe I forget some too. But I, <laughs> I remember doing Monday Night Football with Peyton Manning. We were talking about shifts, motions, all those things that. You know, play mind games with the defense. And Peyton says, I hate motion. You will never see me run motion across the formation. I said, Peyton, why do you hate it so much? He goes, because the defense changes when you run motion shifts. They change. 
And so he didn't like it. He, he liked a steady, constant defense that when a ball was snapped, they were they were stable, and he knew what they were doing. And then you watch his 49er offense under Kyle Shannon. It shifts motion, personnel. Now, that, that, is, that is trying to confuse the defense, and he do a great job of it. But if you're a young quarterback, at the snap of the ball, you don't know what the defense is because of shifts in motion. It can present a problem. And that's why what Brock Purdy's done is, is so remarkable, just so remarkable that he's been able to use shifts in motion with a defense that is constantly moving and get the proper reads. The man known as Jaws, Ron Jaworski, here on 95.7 The Game. So, uh, we were talking to Sal Palantonio just yesterday, and he didn't label it as something rotten in Denmark, but apparently A.J. Brown isn't happy with his involvement in the game plan. And it's a weird time to be talking about what you're not happy about when you're winning playoff games. Is there any ripple effect of that that Sirianni maybe got blindsided by this week? Well, there's zero to it. I mean, you know, A.J. Brown is a phenomenal football player. He's been a team player all season long. You know, he had three catches for 20-some yards last week. And, you know, he's a diva wide receiver. (laughs) We know how these guys operate. I don't think there's anything to it. I've talked to some guys on the team, some coaches I'm familiar with. They don't see anything to it whatsoever. Throw him the ball, he'll be fine. (laughs) So to follow up on the concept of diva wide receivers and how much attention they like paid to them, how much attention gets paid, to them you know any wide receiver conversation around the 49ers begins with Debo Samuel but you're kind of off topic because this team's number one receiver this year was Brandon Ayuk a guy who was doghoused early after a very good rookie season what did you think of him really stepping into his profession this season because Brandon Ayuk I think caught a, a lot of people off guard and he continues to catch defenses off guard every weekend well, it, it, it's kind of amazing, you know, when, when you have a Debo Samuel, you obviously have one of the premier wideouts slash running backs, you know, just call him slash if you like, he can do everything. And, and, and sometimes when, when you're the second fiddle like Brandon Ayuk was, and all of a sudden the first fiddle goes out, all of a sudden you got to wear the hat of responsibility. you got to show up, you got to pick it up. And, and I think he kind of realized, hey, if the 49ers are going to, you know, continue to grow as a team, you know, with Debo Samuel out, it was it, he was going to have to be the guy that you know, was the guy the quarterbacks were looking to. And he has responded in a fantastic way. And, you know, I think he's going to need a big game against the Eagles. Um, this Eagle team is not a big blitzing team. They're a coverage-based team, much like the 49ers. The difference in this game, I believe, will be the team that gets more explosive plays. Those plays 20 yards or more, and even the, the double explosive plays that's hit, that hit for a touchdown, the 40-50 yard gainers. So, I think with Ayuk and Debo Samuel, they both have that ability and my goodness don't forget George Kittle don't forget Christian McCaffrey there's a lot of playmakers on that San Francisco offense but the Eagles have playmakers as well and I think it's the team that has the explosive plays will win the game well given the fact that we have the two defenses that we do what's the likelihood that you're going to see many explosive plays or does this look to you more like a game that's going to be played on the defensive side no question. I think it's probably a high teens, low 20 scoring game. You know, you got the number one and two scoring defense in the league, both playing at a very high level with, you know, well-disciplined teams. And it's kind of interesting. I just said a moment ago, they're very similar in how they approach the game. It's not, you know, exotic looks. It's not scheming. They line up and play saying, hey, we got talent. Try to beat our talent. That's going to be very interesting. You know, who, who may crack in this game? Who may come, start coming to blitz? Who may get risky in this game? I don't think either team will. I think it's going to be, like I said a moment ago, the offense that can manufacture some big plays with shot plays by design, going max pro, giving the quarterback time, and letting a play develop deep down the field. I'm not even talking 20 yards. I'm talking those 40 and 50-yard throws deep down the field. Let me ask a question that's less about football and more about Philadelphia. Would the town be vibrating more if they were playing Dallas or is it vibrating more because they are playing the other team in the conference that everybody agrees is superior? You know, if you would ask me that question last week, I probably would have said the town was leaning toward, hey, we want Dallas, because there's just a, a natural hatred between Philadelphia and Dallas. Um, Eagle fans hate Cowboy fans. It's that simple. They hate the team. But I, I think as people now see how this game is playing out, they see how, you know, now they're starting to hear about the 49ers and, you know, hear the analysts talking about them, what a great football team they are. You know, everyone in Philadelphia believes that they're a great football team. I, I think everyone's excited about the game that 
the two best teams are in the NFC Championship game. I think it's got a lot of people excited. And by the way, the weather's going to be phenomenal. I mean, it's late January in Philadelphia. You know, when I played in the uh, 1980 NFC Championship game, it was 15 below zero in January. And they're saying it's going to be 55 degrees and a light wind on Sunday. So the condition is going to be phenomenal. Uh, as Kyle Shanahan unleashes a game plan over his uh, his laminated play sheet, you don't get a lot of emotion out of him other than some anger or disgust. Meanwhile, Nick Sirianni might have a pom-pom tucked into his back pocket somewhere. He's about as emotional sideline presence I've seen out of a coach in this league at this level in a long time. Do players buy into that? Do they get energized by it? What do you think? Yeah, they absolutely do, and, and I can I can tell you this: the players love Nick Sirianni. I, I you know I do the Eagles post game uh, and pregame show for NBC Sports Philadelphia, and you know we start off every post game with you know with the players press conference and the coaches press conference, and you know Nick is obviously like you just said he's got a passion, he's got an energy. The guys love it; they they, they love that. You know, there are stoic coaches that just you know are good as well, but Nick is young, he's energetic, he's got a young coaching staff. Uh, this this team is bonded, you know, that they're all in it together. Um, when you have an energetic coach that it sometimes you know, ticks off your opponent, you know, the team you play and all that, I'm sure the Giant fans weren't happy last week with Nick's histrionics on the sideline, and he sometimes gets a little bit overexcited, but hey, I'd rather have that than the stoic guy. You know, I like the guy that brings the passion, the energy, and he's got this team playing their best football. You know, it, it's a young football team. Man, it's a young football team, so that, you look at, you're going to have to compete with the Eagles for a long time, and you say the same thing about the 49ers. They're, they're young football team but Nick the players have bought in Nick's philosophy um as a tactician what is the thing that stands out most about him and how has he changed as a tactician since the first couple of games you saw him in his rookie year well, I, I, you know, he had a horrible start. I mean, it's, it's, you, I think the 49ers beat the Eagles 17-11, second game of the Sirianni regime. It was a 17-3 game to late. The Eagles scored touchdown and a two-point conversion. And, you know, the, the Eagles weren't very good at that time. I think they started out 2-5, and five and teams were cutting them up pretty good. And I think Nick learned from, you know, that experience. When you, when you get your butt handed to you a little bit, you tweak, you make changes, and, and he did. But the, the one thing that the, I, I can speak more from the offensive perspective, which is, you know, kind of my background is I, I think this offense that they run is somewhat of a hybrid NFL style offense that I think you're going to see more of and it's it's got passing game concepts of, of the modern day NFL really good passing game concepts and also a blend of the college running game the zone reads the RPOs and you got to have a quarterback to do that and of course you know Jalen Hurts is a guy you didn't you didn't see much of that you know when you had the backup quarterback playing in Gardner Minshew but I, I think it's offense is very well orchestrated and the one thing the Eagles have and I will say this unequivocally they have the best offensive line in football and I watch every you know every offensive line this season there are some good offensive lines you know when you look at three guys that made all pro and two of them were alternates on the offensive line I again I don't know if I've ever heard of five offensive linemen on the same team being pro bowl football players or alternates it's just it, it, it's amazing so it, it all starts with Howie Roseman who's built this team you know much like John Lynch they believe in building down in the trenches and this Eagle offensive line is really really going to present some problems for the 49ers defense because it's a really good old line trench warfare will be on display Sunday for sure. Uh, Jaws, do you still do that Super Bowl party with Brian Urlacher? And if so, what's the bar bill going to be this year? Uh, did, did you say cigar party? Yes. Uh, we <laughs> <laughs> I love doing that. It, it, it's a fundraising event for Gridiron Greats, which is Coach Ditka's uh, favorite charity, raising money for former players. And uh, we split the proceeds, and we raise hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. And uh, mine goes to the Jaws Use Playbook, which uh, you know helps underserved kids in our community. And we get incredible support. It's the who's who of, of guests that you'd want to be at a Super Bowl party. This morning, I'm talking to Kurt Warner. He's saying, you know, can I ask him if he could come? Of course, you can come, Kurt. You know, uh, but that. It, we, we raise money. It's a great time. Cigars with the stars. It, it, Coach Ditka and I started doing this 13, 14 years ago. Brian Nerlacher's jumped in. So we're just going to have a blast. Raise some money and celebrate a great football season. It sounds fantastic. And I, I really mean this. In my watching sports on TV days, 
No one taught me more about Major League Pitching than Steve Stone when he was doing Cubs games on WGN. And I don't think there's anybody who has talked me through more X's and O's understanding in those old Gillette edge matchup shows that you would do (laughs) back in the day. You taught me an awful lot about this game. And if I'm a decent broadcaster, it's because I picked up some along the way of what you taught Jaws. Thank you so much. You bet. You guys are awesome. Let's do it again. Thank you. Ron Jaworski here on 95.7 The Game, officially one of the good guys out there in the world of broadcasting, no doubt about it. Damon and Rattle, we got much more. Not a good guy in the world of broadcasting, but he used to be one of our guys. Joe Fortenbaugh is going to join us at 4.15 today on the Bud Light Guest Line. Meanwhile, we're brought to you by Fremont Bank. Full-service banking, no compromises. Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. The Road to Glendale is brought to you by Marowest Credit Union. Working for you today, tomorrow, together. We want to remind you that Joe Fortenbaugh is going to be joining us on the Bud Light Guest Line at 4.15. Oh, the billions. Should be very, very excited to hear from Joe coming up. We've also got Steve Kerr live at 5 talking about a Warriors game last night where they survived themselves, the Grizzlies, and an ejection of Steph Curry. Because he had to throw his mouthpiece, he was so frustrated with the play of Jordan Poole that it's just really good that the Warriors were able to win that game. Their uh, margin for just peeing games away basically doesn't even exist anymore this year. There are 35 games left, well, 34 now that they played Memphis, 34 games left in this season, and those are going to go by quickly. Those are going to go by very, very quickly, so the time to turn the corner towards the team that they want to be more like is right now, which maybe is part of that frustration, no doubt about it. Um, Curry had a little embrace with Jordan Poole last night. Rad, I don't know if you were watching, but Poole comes walking off the court. Curry, who was ejected, is standing at the end of the player's hallway, going back to the locker room. Jordan Poole looks up. He sees Curry's waiting there for him. Jordan Poole takes his mouthpiece out. It sort of whips it in Curry's direction. The two of them have a big hug, big embrace. You can tell that there's no static remaining between the two of them. There's no static, but it's there for the reason that, you know, Curry knows more about how this offense should run than Poole does. And every once in a while, because this has been a largely frustrating season for the team in general, that when something goes haywire... uh. I think Curry knows it maybe almost as much as Draymond Green does. And I think if it wouldn't have mattered who who took the shot that frustrated Curry, Curry would have thrown the mouthpiece there. So it wasn't aimed at Poole per se. It was aimed at the guy who screwed up the possession. And that's why they could do the, you know, the makeup thing at the end of the game and have it not linger, at least as far as we know. Curry was asked about the warm embrace, embrace post-game. JP came out and got the gates in the fourth quarter, made some big shots and got us you know, some energy. Then I came in and I tried to pick it where he left off, and you know, we got the lead, and it's kind of a back-and-forth type game. And in that possession he's talking about, I threw my mouthpiece the whole deal. Like The way that we responded after that just shows you how much it matters to us, and you know our energy and our intentions are there. We just have to you know, continue to be honest about how our, our IQ is matching up with that in, in terms of you know how we're, we're finishing games and how we're executing in the details you know, throughout the game, but to see the guys bounce back the way they did and and uh, finish the job, a lot of a lot of celebrations in the in the tunnel. And look, let's be totally honest. It's hard to have one guy dressing in a T-shirt that says "High Basketball IQ." Every single time he you know gets dressed, his T-shirt says "High Basketball IQ." And then the next guy's got a T-shirt that says "I'm with Stupid." Like it just doesn't work that way. For it to be a high basketball IQ team. Everybody's got to start thinking a little bit harder and better and executing a little bit more than they have been to this point. Is it in them? Yeah. And I think that's where the level of frustration comes from. We talked about, you know, uh, Brock Purdy's lucky. He has almost zero burden of expectations baked into his evaluation or the critique. The amount of baked in expectations that come into the Golden State Warriors, I mean, it's prolific. It's really, really prolific. And and there are expectations that aren't false. We've watched them meet them. No, Draymond Green said this early on in the year. It's different if you're a rookie going to any team. 
than it is to be a rookie coming into this team because it's not just expectations. It's expectations not just of your performance, but of your performance within the greater context. And I think that has been the frustration um, the entire year, which is the young guys in general haven't fully grasped what they're asked to do. They think it's about, hey, if I get a bunch of rebounds and score a bunch of points, I'm helping the team. And it's not necessarily just that. And so you see, you know, Jonathan Kaminga struggle early, then sort of figure it out, then get hurt, then struggle again to try to refigure it out. It's because it's not natural basketball if you were an AAU kid and you're coming into the NBA at age 18. It's basketball that has to be learned. So it's not just about go out and show us your talent. They know you're talented. That's why they drafted you. Now, how do you harness it to make everybody else around you better? And it doesn't always work, which is why they're a 500 team right now. Damon and Rattle here on 95.7 The Game. A couple of things to share from the text line. One sort of scary, Ray. The other, a legitimate question posed to the both of us. We'll start with the scary thing that comes from Skills in Vallejo. He says, uh, Damon and Ray, you may not chuckle at what just happened, but my kid caught me listening to news traffic and asked, what is that, Damon Ratto? His kid thinks Damon Ratto's one guy. Oh, God. I, I don't know if I'll be able to sleep tonight. I mean, it should be an honor for you to be associated with me. This, the scary thing is that the other direction. I think it's safe to say that in either way, that poor guy on the text line is going to be spending thousands in therapy to keep his kid from going nuts. Maybe I need to enunciate the end, the ampersand, a, a little bit harder when I say Damon and Rattle. Or just say Damon. Damon I get and, paid either way. Damon and that guy. You know, we have quite a... Uh, we got like a 49er Eagles thing going on today with the way we're dressed. If you're looking at us on the YouTube, which if you are, we apologize profusely. Like, click, subscribe. <laughs> but Ray, you're resplendent in your Hartford Whaler hoodie jersey, which is a, it's not a jersey. It's a hoodie. It's a hoodie. Uh, but I do. I, that's one of my favorite emblems in sports history. The whale tail is phenomenal. I am, of course, you know, as I am normally four days of the week wearing an Indiana shirt. And Indiana, a big win over the Minnesota Golden Gophers last night. Trace Jackson Davis is playing his rear end off, Ray. Yeah, it must have been a huge win over Minnesota. Big win over a last place team down at its two best players. But we found it at Williams Arena, which is Heroic. normally... A, hey, it's normally a den of horrors for us, but no one cares out here. I care. So I want to just work it in. Hi, Damon and Ray. In short, how do you define a sports fan? The reason I'm asking is for a sports, uh, as a sports journalist, was on YouTube with his son as a local sports guest, I guess, and um, I got professional boundaries. What do you think it means when a sports journalist repeat that they're not the fan of the local team? Uh, I've heard, you know, different journalists say several times that, you know, the two of you say you, you're, you're not fans. Why do you insist? Why do they insist on telling us? Um, and, you know, why do you guys, you know, what, does being a fan create a conflict of interest, I guess, is what Andrew is asking. Well, it's, it, it's an interesting topic. It's an interesting topic, and it brings me back to a bumper sticker that should be handed to every single sports journalist student because the bumper sticker is right. It says, no cheering in the press box. Now, of course, you walk into that press box with your childhood behind you, with the fandoms that made you want to work in sports to begin with. But once you get into that press box, if you're in there wearing a team's jacket or jersey or logo, you look like amateur hour. You you, know, you like, are amateur you hour. You are amateur hour. And I'm not saying that you have to take it as far as Ray has brought it to the point where he is, you know, a sports nihilist where he goes out of his way to not enjoy sporting events or fans or any aspect of this. But you do have to park some of your of your fandom at the door if you want any credibility attached to the work that you do. Otherwise, you're a fanboy screaming about the team you root for the hardest. The truth is, I'm not a nihilist. 
I don't have an outcome I ever want. I want the game. Show me the game. I don't have a rooting interest unless I'm betting the game. But in general, I'm not paid to root for the team because I don't work for the team. I work for the company that's paying me, or in this case, these yahoos. And that's, that's, it's a very simple line for me to draw. I didn't get into this because I had a favorite team or a favorite player. I got into this because it beats covering a five-car fatal on the 280, and it's actual journalism. Um, and that's how I've always approached it. So that's why I'm not a fan. I'm not a nihilist. I don't root against teams, but I don't root for any either because they're all the same to me in the end. They're going to produce a story one way or the other. It's up for me to up to me to find it. To sort of take the element of like uh, journalistic integrity out of it, and you just say, Damon, how do you define a sports fan? I've always said there's three different distinct levels of fandom. In the first level of fandom, what you're interested in is your team. The team that you like the most, that's the team that interests you. So you're into them, their games, their news. The second level of fandom is when you start getting interested in how the sausage is actually made. Where you want to know more about not just the game that was played, but how the team that played that game was constructed. Where you're now interested in the general manager and the agents and all the things around the sports world that your team affects and affects your team as well. And you're not just interested in your one team, your one entity. You get interested in all the orbiting things around your team, the division, the conference, your interest really grows. The third level of fandom, well, I'll tell you as we uh, reach our four o'clock hour. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.